0: God's word comes to us today from 2 Samuel chapter 9, verses 1 through 13. And David said, Is there still anyone left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba, and they called him to David. And the king said to him, Are you Ziba? And he said, I am your servant. And the king said, Is there not still someone of the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God to him? Ziba said to the king, There is still a son of Jonathan. He is crippled in his feet. The king said to him, Where is he? And Ziba said to the king, He is in the house of Makir, the son of Amiel at Lodabar. Then king David sent and brought him from the house of Makir, the son of Amiel at Lodabar. And Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, son of Saul, came to David and fell on his face and paid homage. And David said, Mephibosheth. And he answered, Behold, I am your servant. And David said to him, Do not fear, for I will show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan. And I will restore to you all the land of Saul, your father. And you shall eat at my table always. And he paid homage and said, What is your servant that you should show regard for a dead dog such as I? Then the king called Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, All that belonged to Saul and to all his house I have given to your master's grandson. And you and your sons and your servants shall till the land for him and shall bring in the produce that your master's grandson may have bread to eat. But Mephibosheth, your your master's grandson, shall always eat at my table. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. Then Ziba said to the king, according to all that my lord the king commands his servant, so will your servant do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table, like one of the king's sons. And Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah, and all who lived in Ziba's house became Mephibosheth's servants. So Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem, for he ate always at the king's table. Now he was lame both his feet. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: Amen. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Timmy. I, um, I was telling him um, that he should practice reading this passage because the word, the name Mephibosheth, if you're not careful, it can sound like a really bad word. <laughs> so I actually, whenever I come back to this passage, I tend to practice uh, pronouncing the name Mephibosheth. Um, Pastor John and his family, they're sick, so I'll be filling in the pulpit uh, this afternoon. Um, he, contact, he texted me yesterday early and pretty much told me, hey, can you cover for me? I'm really sick. So it's a, it was a pleasant surprise uh, as I was tr- trying to frantically put together a sermon while hanging out with some college students on, uh, yesterday at my place and stayed up pretty late. So I'm tired, but... But nonetheless, I'm really grateful for this opportunity to bring the Word of God to you. Can we take a moment to pray before we delve into this passage together? Father, we commit this time to you. We thank you so much that your Word is living and active, sharper than a double-edged sword. Pray that through the preaching of your Word, may you reveal reveal yourself to, to your people and would you... Uh, through your word, penetrate deep and deep into their hearts and change uh, all of us from the inside out so that our lives will never, ever be the same again. God, we thank you. We cannot thank you enough. And in Jesus' name we pray, amen. This afternoon, we'll be taking a break from our current sermon series, Met Members Equipped to Serve. And we're going to actually delve into 2 Samuel chapter 9, verses 1 through 13 together to consider the life of Mephibosheth. And, and think about um, David's acts of love, mercy, and grace and why that was so remarkable and significant. And in today's passage, I'm not sure if you are familiar with this passage and the story of Mephibosheth and what David had done for him. But in this passage, we're going to see David as the new king of Israel doing something really, really remarkable. And then this is going to catch everyone by surprise. Now, we see David going above and beyond to show love, mercy, and grace to Mephibosheth, who was so undeserving and unworthy of any of those actions and gestures. Now, you may be thinking, why is this uh, such a big deal? Why is Pastor James uh, bringing our attention to the fact that David extended love, mercy, and justice to, I mean, love, mercy, and grace to, to Mephibosheth? Well, it is a big deal. And a little history lesson. I think we need to understand the historical context of what is going on here. So David recently became the new king of Israel. And who was the first king of Israel? Saul. God, God appointed him, but he was disobedient and unfaithful, so God removed him. So that opened the doors for David to come to power, and God uh, raised him there there. But during the days of the Old Testament, what ended up happening in terms of the tradition is that when a new king comes to power, he had every right to get rid of anyone belonging to the previous king's family. Now, this passage reminds us that Mephibosheth was the grandson of King Saul, which means this is bad news. He better run. Even Mephibosheth himself knew that he was a dead man. But we're going to see in this passage, uh, David doing something remarkable, pursuing him in in love and extending mercy and grace to Mephibosheth. Now, with that in mind, I'll be making three points during this sermon, the love of the king, the mercy of the king, and the grace of the king. In verse 1, David asks, is there anyone left of the house of Saul that I might show him? Kindness. Is there, verse 3, is there, is there not still someone of the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God to him? What everyone probably uh, expected David to do is pursue anyone who belongs to the previous king's family and, and wipe them out, destroy them. But we see here, David, instead of seeking to destroy, we see David pursuing Mephibosheth in love. I mean, as the new king of Israel, he should have set the tone. And he should have just went with the tradition. And he had every right to get rid of everyone belonging to King Saul's family. But we see David doing the opposite. He's going to pursue Mephibosheth in love. Now, the question is, is, who is Mephibosheth? Do we have any Hebrew scholars in here? Anyone who can tell me what the name Mephibosheth actually means? His name actually means the one who scatters shame. One who is filled with shame. He's the shameful one. And we were also told that he had been living at a place called Lodebar. Amos 6.13 reminds us that the, word, the Hebrew word Lodebar actually means in the middle of nowhere. In the middle of nowhere. So now you combine two. Mephibosheth living in Lodebar, someone who scatters shame, living in the middle of nowhere. If I can use one word to describe that, his life and situation, he's a nobody. No one cares about who he is. In fact, he had been hiding at Lodebar, hoping that he would not get discovered. But now we see here David pursuing him in love. Now, for Mephibosheth, I mean, life doesn't get any worse than this. It's as bad as it gets. Think about it. There's no hope. He's living in fear, hiding in the middle of nowhere, hoping that he will not get discovered. He's fearfully living, I mean, waiting his death sentence, and he was literally a dead man walking. And even Mephibosheth himself knew that If if King David were to find him, he would be a dead man. That would be the end of his life. But to everyone's surprise, we see David doing something remarkable, pursuing Mephibosheth in love in order to restore him and to save him. Now let's jump into verses 5 and onward and think about the mercy of the king. Now Mephibosheth gets summoned before David. And, and this, is what, uh, this is what David tells Mephibosheth, right? Mephibosheth, And at this, at this point, I'm willing to bet that Mephibosheth is, is afraid, terribly afraid, thinking that this is the end for me. King David has summoned me, and he's going to now kill me and wipe me out. But what does David say? Look at verse 7. Do not fear. Do not be afraid, for I will show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. I mean, Mephibosheth, as soon as he came into King David's presence, he bowed down and paid homage. That's the least that he can do. But we see David here extending now mercy. You know, Mephibosheth didn't get what he truly deserved, which is death. And we see here, uh, we see here King David extending a uh, mercy in, in the sense that now he is, his life is spared and now he gets to live. Now, mercy, i like to define it in this way, that mercy is not receiving something that one truly deserves. What did Mephibosheth deserve in the, in the Old Testament context, in this historical setting? Death. But we see, David, we see King David, because he pursued him in love to restore him and to save him, and now by extending him mercy, withholding what he should receive, death, we see now uh, Mephibosheth like being spared. Now, Mephibosheth, he would have been happy if King David just stopped there. Okay, I'm willing to let you live. Now, go back to Lodebar and live out the rest of your life there. Mephibosheth would have been completely happy with that. But we see here now the grace of the king coming in, verses 7 and onward. And he actually tells Mephibosheth, I'm not going to kill you, but guess what? I will restore to you all the land of Saul, your father, and you shall eat at my table always what is going on we see here david not only extend, extending mercy but now extending grace what is grace grace is receiving something that one truly doesn't deserve did mephibosite deserve any of this to have everything restored back to him. But not only that, King David actually invites him, now you can come into my presence. You don't have to live at Lodebar anymore. Now you can actually live in Jerusalem, in my palace, and you can actually eat at my table like one of my sons and daughters. Mephibosheth doesn't deserve any of this. He was so unworthy and undeserving, but yet here we see the grace of the king. Mephibosheth receiving what he truly didn't deserve. Life and a seat at the king's table. In a nutshell, because of the love of the king, the mercy of the king, and the grace of the king, we see something remarkable taking place in Mephibosheth's life. What is that? You know, Mephibosheth was once a nobody. I mean, he referred to himself as a dead dog as he was paying homage to King David, but because of Because of the love of the king and the mercy of the king and the grace of the king, Mephibosheth is no longer a nobody. But he is now a somebody, like one of the king's sons. He gets to eat with David at his table, and he gets to live with him in Jerusalem. He's no longer a dead dog. His identity, status completely transformed because David pursued him in love, because David extended mercy and grace now you might be wondering what does the story of mephibosheth have to do with me it's a good question the answer is everything but the gospel is a beautiful story of, of love and redemption And Jesus, who is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, takes the initiative in pursuing sinners like you and me, who are so wretched and totally depraved and broken, who are so undeserving and unworthy, in love, in order that he may extend the same kind of mercy and grace to to us. And that's what we see happening at the cross of, of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The reason why he came from heaven to earth is because he was pursuing us in love. And at the cross, because he bore our sin, past, present, and future, God withholds what we truly deserve, death. Scripture is absolutely clear, reminding us that the wages of sin is death. And we as sinners by nature deserve God's wrath and condemnation. That's what we deserve. But this is where the cross comes in. God withholding what we truly deserve but at the same time giving what we don't deserve life eternal new eternal resurrection life in christ jesus and martin luther a great reformation theologian this is what he writes human love gravitates toward that which is lovable that which is already good and beautiful god's love gravitates toward that which is lovable unlovable And creates that which is lovable. I think this is how God loves us. And this is how much God loves us. When we were so unloving, when we were so undeserving and unworthy, he pursued us in love to the point of death on the cross. So that our lives will never ever be the same again. So that our identity and self-worth and significance, if it is grounded in Christ Jesus, will never ever change. That we are now his precious and beloved sons and daughters. And we see this being displayed to the fullest extent at the cross of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. The love of God, the mercy of God, and the grace of God. And the gospel in essence is this, that Jesus, the king of kings, and the Lord of Lords became a nobody for sinners like you and me on the cross once and for all, so that we can become now a somebody in his kingdom. 2 Corinthians 5:1 reminds us that he became sin for us on the cross. Galatians 3:13, 3:13 he became cursed for us on the cross. Romans 6:23, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. Jesus. This is not something that we can ever earn or accomplish on our own. It's purely by grace. And on the cross we see the love of God, the mercy of God, and the grace of God all coming together. And because of the finished work of Jesus Christ and because of our faith in him we are no longer nobodies. We are now somebodies in his kingdom. I have two applications for us. First one is, there is Mephibosheth in all of us. Let me explain what that means. You know, at times throughout the course of your life, don't you feel like a Mephibosheth, like a nobody? I think this is especially true when you're having an identity crisis because of something that is happening in your life. And as you are maybe um, frantically trying to figure out your own self-worth and identity and significance through the things of this world. And I've been there. And as you go through the ups and downs of the Christian life, there will come a time or season, even seasons or periods, where you're going to feel like Mephibosheth, like a nobody. And why is that? Because we tend to forget who we are in Christ Jesus. Because sometimes all we see is the problem in front of us. Sometimes all we we want to see is the circumstances right in front of us. But because all we tend to forget all too often who we are in Christ, then we tend to struggle with this. And I hope you get this, that unless your identity is firmly grounded and deeply rooted in the gospel and you're going to continue to find yourself turning to the things of this world, whatever that may be, to feel significant, to feel good about yourself, and to make sure that you are a somebody in the eyes of the people. Maybe when you look at your bank account or your monthly checks from the, from the place that you work at, maybe that makes you feel like you're a nobody, feel insignificant. Maybe when you look at your report card students, your GPA, your transcript, maybe that makes you feel like a nobody feel insignificant. I mean, isn't that why we try so hard to rise above everyone? And in doing so, as long as we look better than the other people, as long as I don't feel like a nobody, as long as I look like a somebody, isn't that why we try so hard? I think that's one of the reasons why we turn to the things of this world, to feel this emptiness, this void that only God alone can satisfy. But this is where the gospel comes in. The gospel reminds us that you are now a somebody in Christ. In Christ, you are now God's precious and beloved sons and daughters. In Christ, you are now loved, forgiven, accepted, adopted, and redeemed. And, And our problem is that we often forget this. And when we do, we turn to things of this world to feel significant. And that's when you will find yourself feeling like a Mephibosheth in this world that is just pushing you to compete, to outdo one another. But if your life is firmly grounded in the gospel, your identity, your self-worth, meaning significance, when these moments come, you won't fall as much. And this is why I pray and hope that you will continue to preach the gospel to yourself. And, and this is why I pray, sincerely pray and hope that you will go deeper and deeper into the gospel so that so that we will no longer suffer from gospel amnesia. That we will continue to cling to him and then hold on to him. Now, I came to this country when I was 12. And several years before that, my dad actually came here. It's a long story, but cut the long story short, his company in Korea went bankrupt. And so he wanted to start over, and the decision that he made on behalf of our family was to, I'm going to go to America, and then pursue the American dream, and prepare a place for uh, me and my brother and the mom to come. So he went ahead several years, and, and he worked tirelessly. Working all all those jobs, I'm sure some of your parents, when they came here as immigrants, uh, were forced to do. Working uh, 15-plus hours every day, you know, grueling hours, physically demanding, and not making as much. But that's how he started. He came here with a suitcase and $100 in his pocket. That's how he started. But it is because of my dad's loving sacrifice, and even to this day, I don't know the full extent, because he hasn't told me. But I still remember one story that he, he, he told me, which I, I can never, ever forget, is that he will sometimes walk into a restaurant because he just wanted a nice meal, nice hot Korean meal. And he will sit down, look at the menu, but he will walk out because he thought of me, my brother, and my mom because he wanted us to, to come to the States and, be re- and then be reunited with him as soon as possible, making those kind of sacrifices. You know, if it, w- if it wasn't for my dad's loving sacrifice, I, I don't know where I will be today. <laughs> but it is because of his loving sacrifice, my brother and I, we, were, we had the opportunity to start to, to receive education in America and for me to pursue um, ministry. And if it wasn't for my dad's, I don't know where I will be. I remember becoming a naturalized U.S. citizen uh, when I was in college and going to the, going to the ceremony. And the judge who... Uh, who was in charge of our uh, ceremony, this, he actually shared his own story of how his own father had made tremendous sacrifice so that he can be where he is today. It was a deeply moving story. Uh, but at the end, he actually encouraged us um, to, 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 to do the same as, as he does this every morning. Um, the naturalization certificate that we s- received at, at the end of the ceremony, saying that we are now officially the citizen of the United States, he actually told us, I want to encourage you guys to frame that and put it where you can see it every day so that every time you look at it, you'll be reminded of all the people who made those great sacrifices so that you can be where you are today in life. So every time I look at my naturalization certificate, I cannot help but to to think of my dad and his loving sacrifice. And for three, four, five years, how he came here by himself, making all those sacrifices. If it wasn't for him, and if it wasn't for all those years, I would, we would not be here today. I would not be a citizen of the United States. You know, as Christians, we are citizens of the kingdom of heaven, right? And then the cross reminds us that. It is true if you are in Christ. And, that, and every time you have those moments when you feel down and you feel like a nobody because of, because of the, the things of this world and because the world is telling you otherwise, I want you to take a good look at the cross and remind it of your heavenly Father's love for you. And through that loving sacrifice, you know, you are no longer a nobody. I don't care what the world says about you. I don't care what your um, resumes or your bank accounts or your qualifications say. If you are in Christ, you are now a somebody. You are deeply loved, deeply cared for, and you are a child of God that never, ever changes. Maybe for some of you, this is too good to be true. A God so great who created the heavens and the earth, but yet he cares for someone like me. Maybe for you, this is just too good to be true. But it is true. And if you believe it, you now praise God, praise God. But if you doubt, you know, why do you doubt? I want to challenge you to doubt your doubts. Because the gospel clearly reminds us of who we are and who Christ is and what He has done for us wouldn't it be awesome if we can you know supersize our faith so that in in moments when we doubt in moments when we struggle that we can just supersize our faith to the point that christ looks so much greater than whatever that we are facing so that we no longer have to feel like mephibosheth but it is not the quality and the strength of our faith that actually saves us. And that's, what is, that's not what is important, as Tim Keller reminds us. It's actually the object of your faith that is important. And it is actually the object of your faith that saves you. And I hope you can remember that as you continue in this journey of faith. Second application is um, there are Mephibosheth among us. I'll end with this. I want us to go back to that Martin Luther quote especially the first part where he writes, human love gravitates toward that which is lovable, that which is already good and beautiful. I think here Luther actually does a marvelous job of summarizing the fundamental difference between God's love, how he loves, and our love, how we tend to love. Here Luther claims that our love is at best conditional, because it gravitates towards that which is lovable, that which is already good and beautiful. Let's think about that. I think when it comes to loving others, I think we tend to pick and choose. When it comes to loving others, we tend to play favorites. And, you know, we put up all these mental posters and we use them to label and categorize and catalog people. And why do we do that? Because we want to be able to avoid certain kinds of people. Because we don't like it when things get too uncomfortable. Because ministering to them would demand just too much sacrifice. And we want to be able to love comfortably and serve comfortably as long as it does not interrupt our schedule and interfere with our lifestyle and standard of living. Is that not true? Now, In the end, what we are communicating as we... Um, adopt that kind of posture and attitude is that you are not worth my time, my efforts, my resources. You don't deserve them. But there are a lot of Mephibosheth among us. In fact, this world is deeply broken, and you don't need to look very far. It is filled with broken people still living without hope. And because this world has repeatedly told them, you're a nobody they have been marginalized rejected by the society they feel worthless and they feel like they are nobodies there are mephibosheth among us and as christians as his beloved children as his agents of love mercy and grace god is calling us to pursue them these mephibosheth who are in our midst the question that I have for all of us is, you know, is it difficult for you to love the people around you? You know, do you have a hard time embracing and serving the people around you? If that is, if that is you, then how do you, how do you try to, to go against the pattern? Do you just try harder? Because I don't think that's the answer. Trying harder is not going to change anything. And that won't fix anything. Perhaps you need help. And perhaps you've been wanting to change, especially when it comes to to pursuing people in love and ministering to them and and being able to love them and serve them like like Christ did. If that is you, um, this is for you. You You need to be driven by beauty, not duty. Let me say that again. You need to be driven by beauty and not duty. What do I mean by that? You know, unless your heart is utterly captured and, and absolutely captivated by the beauty of what Jesus did for you on the cross, you know, it will be simply impossible for you to love like Jesus. To pursue people around you in love, to extend mercy and grace to them. Unless God breaks your heart for what breaks yours, unless God really opens the eyes of your heart so that you learn to see the people around you as God would see them, you are not going to pursue them in love. Because in the end, you're going to jump to this conclusion saying, they're not worth my time. You're not worth my time. And this is why we need to be driven by the beauty of what Jesus did for you and me on the cross so that pursuing people in love, ministering to them, loving them, serving them, doesn't doesn't become a duty for us, but rather the love of God compels us to go and pursue the people around us, especially the ones whose life looked like that of Mephibosheth, people living without hope. Let's never forget that Jesus, the King of kings, became a nobody for us on the cross so that you and me can become a somebody in his kingdom and as you become more and more like him on a day-to-day basis through the indwelling work of the holy spirit i do believe that it is possible for us to love like this to be able to identify people that you haven't been able to identify in the, upcoming, in the upcoming months, we as a ministry, we're going to be launching and relaunching a lot of exciting uh, ministry opportunities. And I pray that when the opportunity comes for you to serve, and as God opens many, many doors for us, especially when it comes to going into our broken communities and pursuing the Mephibosheth in our community, I pray that the love of God and the mercy of God and the grace of God that you have firsthand experience will compel you. The beauty of what Jesus did for you will compel you to come on board so that we can be a we can continue to be a channel of God's blessing to the people around us. There are a lot of Mephibosheth among us, even here at NCF, for students at your campuses. For all the working, working professionals in your, in your workplaces, there are a lot of people who are still living without hope and living without Jesus. And God is calling us to, to reach out, to pursue them in love. As we remember our true identity in Christ, let's as ask God to help us so that this can be a, a natural extension of our lives as we seek to be the gospel in action. Let us pray. Father, we thank you so much for the cross. Thank you so much that that everything has changed because of the finished work of the cross. That we are no longer objects of your wrath. We are no longer destined to hell. We are no longer condemned. But thank you that because Christ was the king of kings, because he became a nobody for us on the cross, Thank you that we are now a somebody, your sons and daughters. And thank you that that amazing truth doesn't change. Thank you that we are perfectly loved by you even at this moment. Thank you that there's absolutely nothing that we can do to make you love us more or less. And thank you that our lives are in your hands. God, I pray for all of us that, God, as we seek to to live out our faith may we be your living testimonies of grace love and mercy to the people around us and as you uh, continue to call us to pursue the people around us who are living in brokenness and without hope father may the beauty of the gospel and what you have done for us continue to compel us reach out to the people around us, to love them and to serve them and to embrace them. And we just pray and ask that would you just continue to use us in this capacity for the furtherance of your kingdom and glory. Thank you. And in Jesus' name we pray.